Good morning, good news. I thought it was uh, something interesting as well. You're never going to, to see me put reverend in front of my name. You're probably not even going to see pastor in front of my name. I'm just Jason. So uh, if you get an email from me, the way you can really tell is that it's just signed Jason. So, But be aware, we're never going to ask you guys for that stuff. So always either check with the office or something. Uh, I wanted to take just a moment and kind of set up the message. I, I felt like 8 o'clock, there's a lot of information. It's so good. James is so just confrontational in some ways in this message. But... I want to take just a moment to do a a, a decent job of setting it up. So uh, I love James. I need somebody like James who confronts me and is really just black and white and in, in my face. And that is what today's message is about. So we have been talking about, especially this month, just about... Uh, convictions and commitments, making sure what we say we believe we actually live out. Uh, Pastor Raphael talked about making sure that we control our mouth. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, with the soap that, that he gave or they gave out at the doors, I just wrote, I actually took two. I don't know if I was supposed to do that, but I took two. And I've got one at the house and one on my desk. And I put on there John 1010. Right? The enemy comes still kill and destroy, but I have come. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. So make sure that everything that comes out of my mouth is building somebody up. It is edifying. It is encouraging. It is life-driven and not fear-driven or anger-driven or any of that stuff. So I know that I'm using that in that way. And then I, I want us to just to make sure that today... Uh, this is in some, every, has everybody gone to the doctor before? Okay. One person has gone to the doctor before. This is like getting your blood drawn. This message. Okay. You know, I, I went to see the doctor and he, he, he had drawn my blood and he was taking a look at the labs and he was going, okay, we need to make some changes here and some changes there. Cause the blood doesn't lie. Right. You can fake it and tell them, oh, I've been eating great. And then the blood says, no, you have not been eating great and we need to make some changes. So today, James is really kind of making us look at our heart and to be honest about it. And so uh, I I love James again, and I love this this set of scripture verses. So we're going to break this down into three parts. We're going to cover one through ten. And the first part is... James is really wanting us to be honest about what's taking place on the inside. Because we can, we can say we're living a certain way, but in reality, our heart reveals who we are. The second thing is he's being honest about the things that are going on in our heart and how that's affecting our relationship with God. And then lastly, what are we going to do about it? There is something that he says that we need to do. So that's the way we're going to approach that today, if you would... Would you just close your eyes and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity, God. We love your word. We love the fact, God, that you love us so much that you would have James write these verses to make us do an inner search and be be real and honest about what's going on. I pray that you would speak to every person in this room. God, this is spoken in love. This is spoken in grace. And this is spoken in truth. In Jesus' name, speak to us, we pray. Amen. So uh, we're going we're gonna to go one through three, four through six, and then seven through ten. 
So let's read from verses 1 through 3. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So I'm going to ask that for right now, until we switch it off, I want you to keep the verses up there. And I just want us to be aware as we're preaching, come back up to these verses and and look at it. So uh, a number of years ago, um, I was 19 years old. I was playing baseball at the local community college. And I, I was something of a hothead. Do I have any other hotheads that you would just, you love to fight, or you love to get mad, or you love to, am I, do I have to make an altar call right now? How many hotheads, how many get mad, right? And you overreact. Okay. So I was 19 and just, it's like a reality series set in Alabama. It's just so ridiculous. I hate telling this story. So I was 19 And, uh, in high school, my sister was in high school and on Thursday nights at different houses, they would gather in the fall for the football game on Friday. So they'd have kids come over, you know, people would eat and they'd have fun. And, uh, I got off practice and I was with a friend of mine and we showed up at my house and my dad said, yep, you know, some people egged our house. Do you know what that means? Somebody threw eggs at the house. Well, I am mad. I am mad. And I'm ready now to fight. I don't know who I'm supposed to fight. I don't know where they are. It doesn't matter. But me and my friend, the only thing we know is they are driving a pickup truck. There's a bunch of kids in the back. So we get in our car. That could have been 20. (laughs) We're going to go fight 20 people. It's so stupid. So... We get in the car and we're driving around the neighborhood and we're driving around our part of the city and we don't find anybody. And so we said, well, let's just go back to the house. So I get to the house and lo and behold, there's a pickup truck with kids in the back. That's right. Uh Uh-oh. So park the car. We get out. We go over to the truck. Everybody is kind of jawing at each other. That's what we talk when talking a bunch of junk. And they're, they're, we're talking, well, I just grabbed the first dude I could and I grabbed him by the neck and I'm trying to pull him out of the truck because I'm about to beat him. And I pull, I'm put, y'all, this is real. So I, I pull him by the neck and I'm trying to pull it out. My dad's going, please, son, stop, stop. And my friend eventually goes, Jason, stop. And so, you know, they, they get us away and the, the truck drives off and I'm going now at, at my age, I go, what a moron. Was it worth almost going to jail for to honor my house or to fight somebody over eggs? It was so stupid. But this is what James is almost confronting the Christian church over. Do you realize what you look like? Do you realize what your behavior is like? Do you realize what's going on in your heart? Are you being aware? So before we get too far into the scripture, I wanted to show you a Bible tool. Okay, so I want you to be able to read the Bible. I want you to have tools available to you. Uh, There's different versions and translations of the Bible. I'm not as, I I don't care what you read. I just want you to read the Bible, right? 
But there are some tools that you can get a better understanding and uh, a better understanding of Scripture if you know how to use these tools. So it's called an interlinear Bible. And you can go to BibleHub.com. Uh, and so this is James 4. It looks like it's really impressive. It's not. If you look at the red, that's the Scripture verses. Okay? So it's starting in verse 1. And if you look in that second grouping of words... You see the red word that says disputes? Okay. Now I need to throw something at that word. Pray to God I don't fall. Right there. Disputes. All right. So what does James mean when he talks about disputes? What is that word? What's, what's the origin? What does it come from? The English doesn't always translate fully from the Greek or the Hebrew, okay? So if we were to click on that number 4171 at the top, this is what would come up, okay? And if you look up there under Strong's Concordance, it says polemos, meaning war. So it's not just that you're having a dispute. James would say you're creating a war. So it's a fuller understanding. When you look down, go down... Uh, under Palamos War, go all the way down to usage. It says a war, battle, or strife. And so this is something that you can use at home as you're going through and you're reading scripture. If you want to know what a particular word means, you're able to look it up and it'll give you uh, a, a better understanding, um, a, maybe a fuller picture of what James is trying to communicate. So you guys think we're all fancy up here preaching and you can do the same thing is what I'm telling you. All right. So I missed the days in some ways. You know, I, I acted like a fool trying to pull that guy out of the truck. But one thing is I always had a friend by my side. And I missed those days in some way that I was in a battle with someone. That they had my back. And, and you know, I may be acting like a fool, but I had somebody that was going to act a fool with me. Right. And as Christians, I think that's the kind of community. I don't want a foolish community, but I want a community that fights for one another, stands with one another. And here's the thing. James is going, you guys are creating wars with each other. You can't do that. And he's wanting us to see a picture of our own heart here. So there was a point in time where Jesus was. There was a, a time where he was really frustrated by his disciples. And he said, how much longer must I be with you? Right? Well, I feel like James, this is what he's doing. He's reached a place where he is exasperated by the church. And he's calling the church out here. Have you ever been there? You ever been exasperated by another Christian? Turn to your t person to your left or to your right and go, I've had it with you. <laughs> Speaking of quarrels and disputes, <laughs> so let's go to verse one. What causes quarrels and disputes? Probably your pastor, it's looking like right now. Is it not this, that your passions, translated desires, are at war within you? Where are they at war? Where are they at war? Where are they at war? In your heart. 
So many times we talk about what's happening outside of us and God's going, yeah, but I'm concerned about what's going on within you. That word passions is where we get our word hedonism. Hedonism is where it doesn't matter what it is. You just want to fill up in yourself. It could be sex. It could be drugs. It could be money. You're just trying to meet whatever you feel like your flesh desires. That's where that word comes from. And while we're, working, we're, we're looking at the fight outside of us, James is going, in reality, it's beginning on the inside of you. And here's the thing. James is looking at the root cause and he's is more frustrated by the bitterness and the infighting that he sees than even the two sides that are fighting. Have you ever been fighting for so long you can't even remember what you're fighting about anymore? Well, James is mad because there's bitterness and stuff on the inside that is actually causing these things. I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples. Have you ever had a fight at work? And you're driving home and the storm is brewing. And you step into your home and your spouse didn't do the dishes. And it just sets you off because nothing is ever done in the house. I always have to do everything. And all of a sudden you are now that the, the storm that was brewing inside of you is now taking place on the outside of you. It never happens at our house. Ever. You watch a political ad and, and the, the political ad says, if this other person gets elected, it's the end of the known world. It's going to end. It's going to crash. And immediately you go, I really need to let other people know about this. So you sit down at the computer and you begin to pin all the reasons why. So here's the thing. So I don't mind. I know I talk a lot about politics. I don't mind politics. I, but you can ask yourself, I don't like when Christians are manipulated at all by anything. My job is to fight for you in your heart. So when I feel like Christians are manipulated, <laughs> holy anger. James is saying you are causing war among Christians and it needs to stop. Has anybody else lived this verse? Something going on inside of you and it's affecting the outside of you. We blame everyone else and James lays it right back at our feet. And says, how is your heart? Verse 2. Says you desire and you lust. That's what that word means, lust. But you do not have, so you kill. This is a metaphorical language. You know, there's not a killing spree going on in the Christian church. But he's going, he's taking them back to Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling them, this is how you're supposed to live. And, and even though it's not going the way that you think it should, or people are not treating you the way that you think they should, how are you supposed to carry yourself? How are you supposed to behave? And they understand this language. Matthew 59 says this, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Where do those things come from? The heart. From inside. And James is saying, Christians, your hearts are so filled with what you selfishly desire. I woke up Saturday morning 
And I mean, I just woke up and it was like the Lord was already speaking to me about this. And he said, he, he just mentioned Mark four and he was talking about how your heart is the most fruitful ground in the world. And he talked about the parable of Jesus and, and how uh, he talked about a sower that sowed the word. And it landed on certain types of soil and it was representative of our hearts. And some, the seed landed on a particular area and it didn't go into the ground because it was too hard. And then he talked about how one seed went down and immediately it sprung up, but it didn't have deep roots. And another, because of the cares of this world, it choked it off. But he said, sometimes the word lands on a heart that's ready and it produced a harvest of 30, 60 and a hundredfold multiplication. I'm just telling you the things that are in your heart already that have landed are producing fruit. And we don't even recognize it or realize it, but it always comes out in our behaviors. It comes out in how we act. I do want to talk about something too. You know, so we don't live under the covenant of Moses, right? It's not all of these rules and obligations. Jesus pointed back uh, in, in the Gospels and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Right? But I will say this. There's a higher standard under grace than under the law. So just because technically you're not murdering somebody. Jesus said, what's going on in your heart, in my eyes, is the same thing. So when, when Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and the people, he says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you see a woman and lustfully you desire her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Grace has a higher picture, a higher standard. And so it's important that we're taking care of the inner work, the heart, and that we keep that presented before the Lord. Because what's taking place inside is affecting the world outside. So most of the time, it's not murder and anger and rage and cheating on your spouse or saying something mean that just happens, it's been growing in your heart for a long time. Have you ever thought of the perfect comeback? You work it. Because you can't wait to be able to use it one day. And all of a sudden, it pops out at the wrong time. Right? That's because it was growing in your heart all along. Okay, I'm going to keep preaching. Because you know it's true. What comes out publicly is because we're practicing it in our heart. And he goes on, he says, you desire, you covet, but you do not have. Here's one other thing that I really want us to understand as a church. Lust can never be satisfied. By, by definition, lust can never be satisfied. It doesn't matter how much porn you look at. It'll never be satisfied. Doesn't matter how much money you make. If you love money, it'll never be satisfied. Doesn't matter how much power you have. Or how, how high up in the company you go, if it's about power, you'll never be able to have enough. Because lust always drives for more. And so Jesus wants you to be satisfied in him 
so that you can learn how to overcome lust. So because you covet and have not won the war inside of you, we take the war outside of us, right? And how many would be honest and take this little test with me? Because there have been times where I know I've lined up in this. That if we don't get our way or we disagree with somebody, maybe we withhold good or help or kindness or hospitality. Maybe we know that we're supposed to do something, but we don't like somebody, so we withhold. How many know there's a sin of commission and sin of omission? Sin of commission is what we do. Sin of omission is what we're supposed to do, but we don't. What about if we disagree with somebody and we gossip or we undercut or we spread rumors? Let's just stop there for just a second. (laughs) Sometimes we justify anger or hatred or even violence because of what is taking place in our heart. And because we disagree. Sometimes we choose to use people. Because we want to get our way. How many know that humble people are the most powerful people on the earth? Being able to submit yourself. Being able to control yourself. Being able to be honest with yourself. And here's the thing. And I've seen it and I've probably lived it. You know, as 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, they're people of all ages that though they have a numerical age, they are actually two years old. And they act like two-year-olds. And here's the thing that I want you to know. In Christ, you'll go to heaven while you act like hell on the earth. Because God's grace is toward you. But He expects us to grow up into maturity. And act like Jesus on the earth. The last part of two into three says this. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. I don't like that interpretation. Incorrectly. To spend it on your passions or your pleasures. So when, when they say spend it on... This is the same word usage that you would find in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. If if you're not familiar with the story, this story right here is what so impacted me in my relationship with God. Because for most of my life, I feel like I, I squandered it, that I didn't live it correctly. I was always running from the Lord. And in the story, a a young son goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance now. So basically, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. And then he took it and he spent it on wild living. And so they know the story. And he's saying, you are trying to spend your prayers or your life on you selfishly. And he's calling them back. How many know that when... Uh, sometimes if, if you know already the answer that you're going to get, you won't ask the question. Okay. Let me help y'all understand this. If you know the answer is no, will you ask? If you're a young person, I don't advise this, but kids, sometimes if they know the answer is no, they'll go do it anyway. Cause they don't want to find out the answer is no. Have you ever prayed to God, but you had a backup plan ready just in case? (laughs) 
He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So let me ask this. Have you ever prayed this type of prayer? God, if you get me out of this. God, I pray if you help me win the lottery, I will tithe to the church. God, if you help the Huskers win. There's a lot of praying going on during football season, right? (laughs) So James, in verses 1 through 3, he's really talking to us, to Christians, about our hearts. Lust and coveting. Not praying. And when we pray, we want to spend it just on us, on our selfish desires. And so James brings them to a place and brings us to a place where he's going, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest with your heart. And it's verses 4 through 6. And this is really strong language. I don't, and, and even Raphael, after at the 8 o'clock service, just said, you need to stop here. You need to talk about this. And this is what he says. You adulterous people. Have you ever been portrayed by anybody? Have you ever been disappointed? I mean, really disappointed by somebody? Have you ever felt like somebody cheated on you? And maybe they did in your marriage. But have have you ever felt like somebody just ripped your heart out? This is this kind of language. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And I love this phrase right here. But he gives more grace. Know this, that no matter what you've done or what's going on inside of you, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love how James pivots here from these are all the things in your heart, but do you know what it's doing to God? Do you know what it's doing to your relationship with him? And the way you're acting and thinking is no different than the world. And there's been times, and, and, and I shared this, so James is basically saying you're better than that and you know better than that. There was a time uh, a number of years ago where Raphael came into my office and I had said something at the, the lunch table or something. And he said, you won't ever do that again. I'll, I never want to hear that come out of your mouth again. And it wasn't like this horrific thing. But it was, it was enough that he closed the door and said, you're not going to do that anymore. He's my friend. That's what friends do. But he said, you're not going to do that again. And this is what James is trying to do to the church. He's going, hey, I need you to see what your heart looks like and what it's doing to your relationship with God and to people around you. He says, friendship with the world. Friendship with the world, this is the way you translate that. It means affection, fondness, or love. How many know that sometimes the church reflects the world more than the world reflects the church? We take on habits or behaviors or we're, you know, we're trying to make things happen. But the way we do that or we we act, a lot of our behaviors reflect what our society does. 
And he says this, verse 4, adulteress, you are cheating on God. Your actions and your behaviors, you have given your heart to something else. And here's the thing, in, in this set of scripture verses, he's not going, turn your back on the world. Go find a cave to live in. That's not it. We're called to be of the world, right? Or in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be light. We reflect Jesus to the world around us. But the way that we go about it, we don't, we don't look like the world. And I put this in my notes, and I felt like the Lord told me to do this. There are people that you come from uh, a certain background. So I told the story about, you know, trying to pull this guy out of the truck. And I've got other fight stories that are so ridiculous, too. And, 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 and for me, though... It's not a sense of pride. It's a sense of embarrassment. But some people in here, your whole life still revolves around what happened at 18, 19, 20. Or it's about street cred or where you came from or, you know, that you can't leave that. I'm begging you. You've got to cut the past off. The Lord just said, quit returning to what you knew or what you once, what you were. Because it affects everybody, how you raise your kids and how you treat your spouse and how you honor or dishonor people. It affects the way you view races. It does. It affects everything. In verse 5, it says, He yearns jealously. He yearns jealousy. So this is not a fleshly, this is not an earthly jealousy. This is the only way that I feel like I can, uh, I, I can try to explain this. Imagine that there is uh, something dangerous right here and your kid is right here or somebody that you love is right here and you step in the middle and you go, I can't let that affect them. This is that kind of picture. He's going, don't you realize, I don't want that to control you, hurt you, separate you from me. And he yearns jealously. And of course, verse 6, but he gives more grace. How many would say that you struggle a little bit with being stubborn? Raise... <laughs> okay. There'll be an altar call right there, chaplain, for the end. You come on down to the altar. Yeah. So here's the thing. All of us in our heart, we, we struggle with pride. And there's two different variations of pride. One is, I'm so unworthy. God couldn't possibly use me. I've done so much. And then there's the other, other side that goes, I'm not doing anything wrong. Are you kidding me? I'm as close to perfect as... And so those, those two extremes... And all God wants you to do is go, God, I need you. I've got an issue. I've got a problem. I know that it's a problem. And I need your help. Verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so if, if you're young in the Lord, this seems pretty extreme. And so we're going to unpack this for just a minute. You know, submit is one of those words that we don't like, none of us, because it means that we have to come under. We're a, a, a fiercely independent people as Americans. And I think especially in this day and age, that the idea of having to submit to God or anybody else just seems wrong. But this is what the word means. Come under, submit. The word resist here, resist the devil. It comes from two words that mean stand against. It's not passive, it is active. It means that you are on guard and you're not allowing the enemy or anything to take over your life or to take over your heart. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God's always near. But when we have pride, he's going to be removed. And God's going, when you begin to respond to him, he's there. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. Uh, this right here, God's going, listen, look at the content of your heart and know that it affects everything, your, your, the way you walk, the way you live, your hands, the way, the way you serve, all of those kind of things. And here's a, a question that I have for the church. Have we lost the ability to mourn our sin? Have we gotten to the point where we can justify everything that we do? We can quote the verses. We can play the part. We can look the part. We can excuse stuff. Have we lost our ability to repent or grieve from sin? And here's the thing. You need to know this about me. I, I don't want to guilt you into anything. You try to guilt people into something, you'll lose every time. Sure recipe for disaster and rebellion. Nobody wants to be manipulated. But I can, I can take you back. And there was a season in my life where God began to get to the root of my heart. He kind of put me on a shelf for a season I'm telling you, y'all, I could trace habits and patterns and lies all the way back. And God was going, do you have any idea what is happening to your family because you won't deal with stuff? Do you have any idea how people are being impacted because you won't deal with your stuff? Do you know, have any idea how my relationship with you is hindered because you won't be honest? In your heart. Because here's the thing. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you at all. He's not mad even about what he's going. Let me in and I'll set you free. Let me in and I'll set you free. But God began to show me. Who I was or how I was acting. And it was such a place where I began. I began to grieve. And I began to repent and I began to cry out. I've probably, I've probably thousands of prayers in, in this church. Oh, just going, God, I want to know you. God, I want to change. God, I want to be a man of God. I want to I be trustworthy to you, Lord. Jesus, forgive me. Holy Spirit, empower me. I want to I honor you. And I've been doing it now for years. Even before we got here, I would be out in the parking lot. 
Walking, the crazy man walking, going, God, I just want you to change me. I want you to change me. Pride blinds us to who we are. We look at everybody else, but God's going, don't you understand that it's an inner work? Do you really know who you are and who you can be in me? And I want to set you free. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I I wrote a prayer. It's a really simple prayer. And I want us to break the pattern of just coming to church. I want us to break the pattern of just coming to the altar. I want you to come to the altar. I'm cha- I was changed because I just kept going up to the altar. God, don't you, don't you give up on me. Don't you give up on me. I need you. So I, I want that. I always want that to be part of our church. But I want you to go home with it. I want you to spend time with the Lord with it. I want you to get into the word with it. I want you to pray and believe that God wants to transform you. I want you to just close your eyes for just a minute. And I just want you, you can, you, can, you can repeat after me in your heart if you want to, or you can just listen and let it be just an inner prayer. Father, I know that this area grieves you. I don't know what that area may be. Whatever's going on in your heart, God's put his finger on it before. I know there are areas of my heart not fully surrendered. Or I choose to live my own way. God, I ask you to forgive me. I know you give more grace. I know you give more grace. Help me to submit to you and humble myself before you. I need you. I also know, God, because of this, it is affecting people around me. And I want to change. Jesus, I know you died for this. This put you on the cross. I know you secured life and victory because of your death. I owe you everything. Holy Spirit, help me to change. Help me to live this heart change and victory out in my life. I will not be a victim any longer. I will not make excuses any longer. I am responsible for my heart and my choices. And I take responsibility now. Amen. So here's what I want us to do. More and more. As we continue to, to go and, and we're getting used to each other as far as leadership and our and small shifts in our church. I need you to spend time with the Lord. I need you to get alone with the Lord. He, he wants so badly to bring his life to you. He wants so badly to set you free from things. He wants so badly for his relationship and your relationship to be pure. We're gonna, in just a minute, we're going to open up the altar and you're welcome to come forward to the altar. But I want you to spend time with the Lord at home. Even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes that you get alone and you sit in a chair and you just, you just begin to pour your heart out before him. He loves you so much, church. You know this, but I need us to be honest with ourselves about what condition our hearts are in. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. 
If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I would love to be able to lead you in that prayer, explain what that means. Father, I pray that you would continue, continue to do this deep work on the inside of us. You love us, God. You are incredibly zealous for us, God. You yearn jealously over us, God. And there's more grace. You enable, you empower, you set free. You make broken hearts whole. That's what you do. I pray, God, that we mourn what we've allowed to dominate us so that we can be set free. We bless you. We love you. And we need you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen and amen. I'm going to ask our our altar team and prayer workers to come forward. If you want to come to the altar and pray, please do so. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, I would love to pray for you. Love you, church. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.